Hello and welcome to This Is Important, the podcast that helps the unheard be heard. I'm your host, Mira Reftopoulos, and in each episode, we will be covering everything from race, politics, sex, and feminism. joined by Delt today. You may recognize her from our previous episode that we did about the mixed race experience. So I asked her to come back on um, because I really wanted to delve into her story more. I found it really interesting and I hope you guys enjoy it. Oh, thank you so much for um, doing this with me. I just really like, because I've started, um, I've been editing our conversation that we had, Yumi, Amber, and Chai, and I, I was, I really wanted to sort of like delve in a little bit deeper with your side, um, just because it was such an interesting story and it was like so different as well from the other two, um, and I just really wanted to mm. sort of like delve into that more um, respectfully, um, if you don't mind. Yes, of course. No, of course. It's. Um something i've not really uh given a lot of thought of, um before maybe last year even and obviously with the uh, blm movements and the worldwide protests it's really kind of brought to, yeah. to the forefront with me and yeah so i'm very eager to kind of delve deep deeper into awesome. that as thank well. you so much and um, so like i want to start by asking um what your upbringing was like um, growing up um, in, you were raised in Amsterdam first or was it Portugal? Yeah. It was Portugal. So I was born and raised in Portugal. Uh, my parents, my mother is Dutch and my dad's Jamaican. And they were both living in Portugal at the time. And well, obviously I was born there in the south of Portugal. It's a lovely, lovely area. Um, apparently the sunniest nice. place in Europe, so I'm yeah. quite lucky, yeah. And um, my, I'm the eldest. My sister was born three years later. And then my dad left us, I think, when we yeah. were five years old, something, when I was five years old, something like that. But I've always gone to, and my mom kind of raised us alone, and I've always gone to Portuguese yeah. school. So Portuguese is actually my first language, even though Dutch is my mother language yeah. officially. I learned Portuguese the fastest, but she also raised me in Dutch. And obviously my dad being English, we also spoke English at home. So I was, yeah, I was raised with in three languages and yeah, but having Portuguese schooling really kind of made that language. Yeah, that's my, your mother tongue. Uh, yeah, strong. that's like in a way, because it's, yeah. you, you know, your first words would have been in Portuguese. Yeah. Probably. And it's odd because there's some forms that you have to fill in when like applying for uni or jobs where they ask you what your mother tongue is. And I always find it such a loaded question because it is it it, it is officially Dutch because my mom is Dutch and I do have Dutch nationality, but I am culturally Portuguese and I was like Portuguese is my first language, so it doesn't really fit into the normal uh, administrative administrative yeah options, I think I it's the same with like you know I'm British you know like I've only ever known this country um but I you know I understand my parents languages you know I can't speak it I'm not very good at that but like I understand them fluently mm-hmm. um I grew up listening hearing it and saying you know speaking it with my family and stuff but I wouldn't consider that my you know, my language, because, you know, my first words would have been in English. Um, so I do know what you mean yeah. in that sense. Do- yeah, and it was, it was, it was a good time growing up in Portugal. Um, I was outside a lot. I was the typical muddy, dirty child. And I did lots of sports as well growing up. And um, all my friends were white, I think. And I had babysitters uh, who were Cape Verdean in Portugal. You have a large Cape Verdean Angolese uh, communities because of they were post they were Portuguese colonies for the longest time. And 
yeah, I guess I was also one of the few non-white kids in my class. There was always maybe three black children in my class, but I always kind of gravitated towards um, maybe multinational children because of the cultural yeah, similarities you and between you us. Yeah, you yourself were multicultural, you know, having Jamaican yeah, father, yeah, having yeah. a Dutch mother and being raised in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Like you had so many different cultures that you, you know, were pulling from. 100%. And But the interesting thing is most of my um, kind of traditional values are stem from my mother's Dutch culture. So a lot of our kind of values, etiquette, whatnot, is, was instilled in me and my sister by my mother. And my dad, Jamaican, he, like, we, he didn't really have a Jamaican accent. He, I think he moved to England mm. when he was, like, 19 with his mother and his sister. And so I don't know much about Jamaican history or culture. It was never really instilled uh, in me by my father, which is a, it's a bit unfortunate, but I think that has a lot to do with my dad's relationship with his past. And I um, I think I'll see him this year and I think I'm probably going to talk yeah. to him about it, just to see what his heritage is, his history, you know, his life, because I do have pictures of him in Jamaica. They're the loveliest pictures. And he, I've met his mother as well, who's unfortunately passed away. And she had the thickest Jamaican accent. I think I was 15. And she gave me a shopping list uh, orally. I didn't understand <laughs> a word she said. And she was so intimidating. I was actually yeah. really, really scared to make a mistake. But that was the first time I was actually in touch with Jamaican culture. That was through my grandmother. Because I don't, like, even though my dad's black and fully Jamaican, he never he wasn't really in touch yeah. with his heritage yeah so like growing up what was your like after your well when you were a child to after your parents broke up did how did your relationship change and did it later improve with your father uh, it's an inter- it's an interesting question actually i think i'd always been daddy's girl there i have vivid memories of him brushing my hair out and treating it and uh, because I have obviously very curly yeah. Afro hair. So he would treat my hair and I have vivid memories of spending hours in the chair while he is carefully combing my curls out and detangling it. And then after they broke up, the biggest change for me was him not treating my hair and then my mother yeah. having to do it. My blonde lobster red mother <laughs> had to do it. And then she had no idea how to treat it and I think during primary school I was like six or something you know you have the the uh, head lice is a thing that always happens and uh, none of the products worked on me and then also the pharmaceutical products also come with a little tiny comb to remove like the lice eggs and that wouldn't go through my hair my hair was far too thick for that and I think one of my babysitter slash nannies at the time who was Cape Verdean she referred my mom to the hairdressers and uh referred told her to relax my hair how old were you so I have I think it was six the first thing my mom did was actually shave my head off hair I mean um and I, I remember being so self-conscious because it happened close to the date of um school pictures as well and suddenly I had this short short hair and I think we uh, got it relaxed quite soon after that. And one of my first like school pictures, first grade probably, is me with the tiniest, shortest haircut. I looked pretty cute, but I remember feeling self-conscious because of my short hair. You know, as a kid, your um, uh, ideas about gender are very uh, elementary. So me having short hair, I was like, oh my God, I'm... Yeah, I'm like a little boy and I didn't really like it at all. But it's not something that's marked me necessarily. But I have then continued to uh, relax my hair since. And I've only stopped doing it maybe a couple months ago for the first time. But yeah, so during our conversation um, with the rest of the guy and the people that we were talking with, Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned you 
had sort of like a, a resurgence um, recently in wanting to find out more about your um, fire father's side of, of your of you, mm-hmm. you know, like that side of the, the culture. Um, have you, you know, have you discovered something that you didn't know before or like something that's, you know, that you're excited about exploring more? Um, it was tough because at one point in the beginning of last year, I thought I had to make okay. a decision whether yeah. I wanted to be black or white. And um, interestingly, I kind of discovered that I don't need to choose because my identity has never been so closely connected to my ethnicity. It's never been so closely connected to my heritage. It was just fully, it was my identity, I guess it was is much more complex than that. So I kind of discovered that I don't have to choose, and that's how far I've come necessarily, uh, not necessarily, but up until now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think, I think that's a great way, way to think, you know, like I wouldn't, like if I were in your shoes, I would want to, um, just be me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't want to be like linked to something so simple as oh you know like I, I can either be black or I can either be white I would just want to be del- you know delta I'd be like this is who I am you know yeah. rather than it being as if you know like you're caught in the middle or something it, it, it shouldn't exactly. I think impact your identity that much I think mm-hmm. having like with anybody you know who is raised in in a bicultural family or biracial family or whatever like I think if anything it's just sort of having an understanding of your parents and that you know that that culture the different cultures or like the different upbringings and things like that rather than it being you have to choose one or the other or like you have to be like this in order to fit this particular mold or something like when you know when I have kids I wouldn't want my kids to feel that way about my husband and I you know like Mm -hmm. I can't be yeah. I can't be black I have to be white or I can't be white I have to be black because that's you know like do you know what I mean mm-hmm. I'd want them to yeah. be their own people and just have an at least have an understanding of and like have an appreciation of some kind of um the heritage you know but like it shouldn't define who they are do you know what I mean like it, it life's not that simple <laughs> I don't think I've always been picked on as other, even though I was a very visible minority in my classes. Um, it's never really been something that was held against me. Not at all, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And was it so like growing up with um within your family as well and um on your mom's side of the family, were you ever um made to feel othered? within that within the family or where did you ever hear comments made you know that you didn't quite understand them but now you look back and you're like oh you know what 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 was the meaning behind that comment or anything like that um I don't think so not necessarily I think I was very lucky in that aspect my mother was uh very accepting uh, well, race was not something that ever played a role in my family. That's maybe why it never really played a role in how I perceived the world to be. Uh, the Dutch side of my family, they were, for a lack of a better explanation, they didn't see my color because I didn't act my color necessarily, not in terms of the stereotypical things, but I never defined myself as the non-white kid. I was different, definitely. I knew I looked different, uh, but it was, um, yeah, I never felt othered for my uh, ethnicity. No, they were very, I was very lucky in that aspect. Interestingly, though, um, somehow my uh, type of guys, they're, I very much like a specific type of man. That's why I grab it in terms of uh, physic physically. What what do you say? How do you say that? Yeah, my type of guys, my type of man. Yeah, they were always blonde, tall, blue eyes, and I have wondered if I had more of a prominent 
male role model in my life who was black, yeah. maybe I would then my taste in guys would be different as well. Um, my dad has obviously stayed in my life forever, but he wasn't a prominent role in my life. I think he traveled for years. He's lived in Brazil now for 12 years. You know, I, I saw him maybe once every couple of years. There was a time when I was like 12 that he moved back to Portugal and he stayed there for a couple of years and he opened a Jamaican restaurant. It was a lot. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. And it was, I don't think he, I think the fact that I didn't have a prominent, prominent black ro uh, male role model in my life, I think that kind of uh, conditioned my taste for men as well living in a largely white community, I think. And maybe the fact that I would idolize Pocahontas and Captain Smith, maybe that had <laughs> as well. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I, I like I'm I'm I get what you mean. Like I don't think um your taste in um, you know, whoever you're attracted to has anything to do with like upbringing per se. Mm -hmm. I don't think even if your father was around more often you know it may or may not have hindered your preferences I don't think because I think everyone you you just like who you like and it's also about yeah. who's around you as well mm -hmm. like if you're because you said you grew up in an area where it was prominently um white people so mm -hmm. if if that's who's around you that's who you're gonna date you know yeah. Yeah. um and I yes I don't think that has anything to do like I don't think your father not being in your life um, consistently um you know like every day mm -hmm. um sort of had an effect on um who you dated I mean I'm married to a white guy and mm -hmm. I grew up in, in in you know in London surrounded by you know yeah everybody yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's a good point yeah because I yeah. really think that there must be some kind of influence of what I'm exposed to and then, yeah. therefore, also an influence of the, on the outcome, you know, what my preference and dislikes were. And I remember also for the longest time, I was being pursued, it must have been middle school as well, I was being pursued by this um, uh, mixed-race boy. And I remember just already making a decision that I didn't like him. And I remember, if I think back, I remember feeling that he reminded me too much of my dad. So I found that a bit weird. It's not a line that I would want to cross because my dad was my dad. It was my idol. And then he reminded me of my dad just because of, I guess, his skin color. So yeah. I'm not going to go there with you. No way. And I remember really actually physically running away from him at times as well because it was like, no, I'm not even entertaining that idea. It felt like yeah. to me. I know what, I know what you mean like there are guys who like there are like famous actors or like guys who I've met who remind me of like my brother or like my dad and it's just like you know in in, in terms of mannerisms and you know the personalities and things like that so I do get what you mean in that sense yeah um, but do you think as well like because your dad and your mom broke up did that impact you in any way in the sense of um kind of linking your father and your mom breaking up with um guys that look like your father you know like black men um, possibly or have or was it just that one specific guy um it wasn't just specifically that guy but I don't think the fact that they broke up had something to do with it I think it was more that my uh the only male presence in my life who was black was my dad. Uh, I didn't have any other black male presences in my life growing up. And to this day, my dad must still be the only black man that I know well enough to know, to say that I know a black person. So I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not sure if that has an impact. That's tough to say, but I do, I do actually believe, feel that my dad being the only black person, adult male that I knew, did also influence my perspective on other black males. And it's not necessarily a negative perspective. It was more as like, there's only space for one black male in my life. And that's already occupied by my dad. You know? Yeah. 
And so I think that's where my kind of, for lack of a better word, aversion for other Black males came from because I only knew one and I only wanted to know one and that was my dad. I didn't have any interest in in yeah. other black males, even if the even if they were my age. So and also there was a um important at an, at an older age when I started going out like at 16 or something, I had a Brazilian friend. Oh, I was I was a bit younger, but let's not put that on record. <laughs> Um, um, I had a Brazilian friend who was older than I was and I went out with her for the first time and she would go out to these dancing clubs where they had like kizomba music which is a uh, oh yeah yeah you know all right Um, so and there was obviously a lot of black guys there as well but the location of the club was in this municipality uh, a bit further west which was known for its problematic uh, crime numbers or its problematic youth, not necessarily because they were black, it was just the culture that was there. Yeah. And um, I remember being pursued by black men then at that time when I was going out and not already making a decision that I didn't like that or like them or wasn't interested in them. But that was more because of the locality where I was in it was like of the geography where I was in we were in this little town that would didn't have the best of reputations and men coming from that town obviously uh then for me carried that reputation as well yeah Uh, um yeah so that was kind of also uh later on a bit a bit more of a complex version Mm -hmm. but it was only by default because had it been a white guy as well I already would have made the same decision, being like, oh, I don't want any guys from Cortez. Yeah, sure, like in a dodgy area. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a bit snobby of me, but yeah. No, I know. I think I think any, especially at 16, it's like... Yeah, life is yeah. much more simple. Too much, yeah. It's like you, you, I evaluate life at such a young age. I evaluate it along very strict but very simple lines. And if you fall yeah. outside of that, it's like, yeah life was easier then as well (laughs) (laughs) okay so what age were you when you sort of moved away from Portugal um I was uh 18 I think um it had always been instilled in me that I would go and study at uni uh so it wasn't it was never really a choice for me it's something I really took for granted being Dutch, I could study in Holland and get uh, student financing for free. So that choice was already made. It was never really a conscious choice, but it would be it was a natural progression of things. So I moved to Holland, I think, when I was 21, because I took a couple of gap years before and I traveled, obviously, to Southeast Asia, as you do. And I spent <laughs> some time as well in London, uh, in Croydon, I mean, with my aunt, my dad's sister yeah I think I lived there for a year and that was some sort of awakening I have to say thinking back now um I remember going out with my cousin so my aunt my my dad's sister she's Jamaican my cousins um they are both half Jamaican and half Mm -hmm. Guinese Guinese. one of them is at least one of the other one is full Jamaican um the Elder one is half Jamaican and half Guyanese, I think. Is that how Guyanese? Guyanese, yeah, sorry. As in Guyana in mm. South America or Ghana in Ghana. Ghana, yeah, so Ghanaian. Ghanaian, okay. Yeah, <laughs> no worries because <laughs> they have some sounding. Such a struggle to figure out what the nationality is of like particular countries. Yeah, but no, anyways, I get it. <laughs> anyways, I went out with so South Croydon, very multicultural, large Jamaican and Ghanaian um, uh, communities, and I went to a party with my cousin, and I think for the first time, I was like part of a non-black minority because all her friends were black and the music that they played was different because all I had listened to in Portugal was like Nelly Furtado or something like that and then suddenly they're playing grime and um yeah that was a bit of a cultural awakening I have to say and it was very interesting because I remember um 
being in that kind of like garage uh, party and really just taking a look around and really kind of uh, grounding myself in the fact that I am surrounded by black people for the first time in my life. And yeah. there's one white kid dancing away and he looks ridiculous, but it was, it was just, it was just one of those things like, wow, this actually never happened to me before. How interesting. Yeah. What did that feel like? Um, it felt, uh, it felt interesting, I guess. I think I looked at it from a very kind of anthropolo- anthropological sense. Like, oh, this is, I wonder, it felt different from Portuguese parties where the majority of the attendees were white. Mm. Uh, it felt different because of the way it looked, but also because of the music they played and I guess the atmosphere because this party was, everyone was in it together and there was no like cliques or part or kind of like little groups. Everyone was just really there for each other. And I'm not sure if that was because of the fact that it was a smaller party than normal, or I think it was a cultural thing, perhaps. Um, Not necessarily Portuguese versus uh, UK culture, but white Portuguese versus South Croydon party culture. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I remember I did get offended one time, though, in that cultural awakening, I was dancing in the kitchen with my uh, little cousin, who's full Jamaican, mm-hmm. and we were just messing about to some music. I think I was 19 at the time. And she's, she's like, Delta, you dance like a white girl. <laughs> and I was fully offended. Because yeah. Before then, I had always been told that I was a good dancer. And, uh, oh, Delta, you dance really well. Like at the club, I was always the one dancing on top of the speakers. Like I really went out clubbing to have a good dance like I danced all night and then and I remember being complimented for my uh, dance moves I guess and then here I am in, in my little kitchen with my baby cousin who is who is roasting me on my white dance moves I'm like what does that even mean <laughs> what does that even mean I thought, <laughs> he's like you're so stiff and I was like what it, it was the exact opposite of what I had been told before by white people and I thought I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. But I granted, I don't dance like her. I can't. I don't know how to. <laughs> Did you pick up some new moves? <laughs> I tried, but I am indeed too stiff. <laughs> uh, but that was uh, also kind of one of those cultural awakenings. But, um, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. don't have that black dancing uh, side. I thought I did, but that was only because... Uh, the white Portuguese people who I went out with were even worse dancers than I did. Was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I never felt mm-hmm. like I fit in. And that might have something to do with the color of my skin or the texture of my hair. But I think it also, in truth, what I can say in truth is that it also had to do with the fact that I had a multicultural background I spoke three languages by the time I was six I had traveled to Holland every other year I was at 12 I was flying to Brazil to meet my dad in Brazil you know I had I have a half brother from my dad's side who's half Jamaican half Irish um, who would come visit us every summer and we would do the coolest things like my childhood experience uh, and my uh childhood I guess my childhood life experiences were so different from my Portuguese peers classmates and um, we could relate on things that we liked but lifestyle wise uh, I was very different from the rest very yeah Yeah. so that definitely has to do with the fact that my family spread across all, all over the world and with the fact also that even from my grandmother's side, my mother's side, my grandmother, she lived in Papua New Guinea and Indonesia for the longest time to the extent that my mother and my uh, aunt are both born in uh, Southeast Asia. Oh, sorry, only my aunt is born in Southeast Asia. But yeah. that plays a really big role in the heritage of our family. And... Um, some of our family also lives in South Africa. That also plays a really big role in how we identify or construct the identity of our family. Our family is just very international. So 
because and the fact that I always had an accent. I have an accent speaking Portuguese, even though it's my first language. I have an accent speaking Dutch. My English accent is all over the place. You know, I've always kind of felt different. I didn't, but without feeling excluded, I never felt excluded. I just felt different. But for me, yeah. that's normal. I feel like, I feel like everyone feels different. I'm not sure if that's the truth, but I feel that's for me is normal. Being different is normal yeah. to me. I agree. I agree. I think, um, I think everyone has that feeling of, um, you know, feeling different and, you know, like standing out, like, you know, like standing out in the crowd kind yeah. of way because of, you know, things that you're into or the way you were raised and things mm-hmm. like that. So I, I do agree. I think people do have that tendency to sort of feel different, you know, like not quite um, on the, you know, following the groove. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Because I feel like, I've, yeah, I feel like, you know, like growing up, I always felt different mm-hmm. in the sense of I didn't because you know growing up you like what you were saying oh you dance like a white girl and things like that like hearing comments like that growing up like oh you're an oreo mm-hmm. or this or that do you know what I mean those sort of statements really stay with you and make you feel like you don't belong to mm-hmm. this group of people even though you are yeah. Black, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean even though you are black or you're or you're mixed mm-hmm. race and your father's black and you're half black um but hearing comments like that really do stay with mm-hmm. you and do make you feel like an outsider yeah. you know like you're not quite in the club you know in mm-hmm. the group exactly I do have to say though um that I have been called growing up bounty that was the thing that was the word that they would use and this was mostly uh, by my English friends growing up. We lived near this um, uh, immigrant community of largely British people, also because of where we lived, quite close to the coast. There was lots of families who had their, British families who had their second home there. And there was mm. a lot of British families who lived there. And I think in my, like in the 40 kilometer radius, I think there was three international schools of British international schools where you would have to wear a uniform. That for me was the oddest thing. You'd have to wear a uniform to school. In Portugal, we could choose our own clothes. In Portugal, oh, really? I think it's, uh, what's the difference? It's a you have private school. I think it's called public school, school I guess. State sponsored school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, we just wore our own clothes. We bought our own books and um, my English friends they had to wear their uniform and they had they didn't have their own school books because the school had the books so you'd have to give them back the next year and yeah we that was the same here as well like I didn't get to like not wear uniform until I was at college (laughs) and for me it was the other thing I remember also well um having loads of clothes obviously because I had to wear clothes seven days a week instead of just at the weekends of my own clothes I mean so I remember, yeah. <laughs> I remember like my girlfriends coming up to my house to get ready to go to the party because they would borrow my clothes or we'd all go on to go, we'd go all go, to, uh, sorry, shopping for the outfit for that party. And I often didn't need to because I already had lots of clothes and that was one of the difference. But yeah, I was called a bounty by the international school kids. Um, it didn't mark me as much as being called goofy, to be honest. I was called goofy often because I was kind of like long-legged, long-armed, a bit kind of yeah. like flailing all about and very hyper as a kid as well. So yeah, goofy, that was something that stuck with me for a long time. Uh, and I never liked it, never enjoyed it, but I was not one to really stand up for myself at that time. So I just took mm. it. But um, it was also said endearingly, I know, even though I didn't like it, it was said like, oh, you're like goofy. Uh, and I, I get the comparison. But yeah, it so being called goofy in terms of which kind of uh, is attached to the personality marked me more than being called a bounty, which was attached to the color of my skin and not necessarily my personality, because I didn't relate to my 
I didn't I didn't don't identify by my race, you know. So yeah, yeah, I I can see how it would mark many many people and how it would kind of uh, influence how they kind of see themselves. But for me, it was also the truth. I looked more black than white, but I was fully white because of who was raising me, because of the where I was being raised and the friends that I had. So yeah, yeah. It, it kind of like it bounced. Yeah, I didn't even need to shrug it off necessarily. It was just just bounce off me. I didn't really care about it. I don't think I would ever want to, to make to construct yeah. the world as a racist place, an inherently racist place where you are inher- inherently different because maybe you are different, but what's what's the point of being the same as everyone else? That's boring. Be special. Yeah. Be yourself. Find your own path. And yeah, I think the fact that I don't identify with my race is a big part of that. But at the same time, um, my... Jamaican heritage has been pushed under the rug. Like I know nothing about my Jamaican side of the family. I know I have cousins everywhere in yeah. Jamaica. I have a load of cousins and aunties in Croydon as well. But it was um that's something that I feel nostalgic for. Like I you know, missing something that you've never had, it's a very weird feeling. So yeah, it's, uh, that's something that I feel nostalgia for. That side of my family's history because my dutch side's history is so rich they've done so much i know like i know all interesting things about them but i know nothing about my jamaican side of the family Hmm. and it might have to do something with my dad i remember i recommended a book to him uh which one was it uh to kill a mockingbird by harper lee and he's like Oh, I yeah, love that I book. really enjoyed that book. And I think I was in Brazil at the time as well. So I wanted to give him the book. And he's like, no, I don't want to read anything about racism. I can't do it. And I was like, oh, interesting. And it has stuck with me. I didn't ask further. I tried, I pushed it a bit, but I didn't ask further because it was very, mm-hmm. it, like the conversation was shut, the discussion was shut down before it even started. But yeah, I think it has something to do with my dad. The fact that he, he is a snob, 100%. Uh, but I think that somewhere in him, he denied his Jamaican black culture, let's say, to be able to fit in the white DJ world or the white hospitality world of London and then subsequently in Portugal. Mm. Have you ever asked your dad? Like, have you ever spoken to your dad about race? I haven't. I haven't. But I have made a mental note to do so when I next see him. Uh, I lost mm. him two years ago, maybe last year even. Oh, no, last year was Corona. Two years ago. Um, and I'm probably going to see him this year. Uh, so we yeah. are going to talk about it. I guess it. the um, pandemic yeah. and everything kind of hit yeah. that. Yeah, hopefully. Like he's in Brazil yeah. as well. I might not be so lucky because apparently it's really bad there. But Yeah, I heard. Yeah, the Brazilian variant mm-hmm. isn't... And know. it's also sad for my dad because the matriarch of the family, his mother uh passed away a couple several years ago and he actually also didn't go to his uh he's a very troubled man my dad bless him but he is troubled he's got a couple of demons i guess so he didn't go to to jamaica to the funeral and he only went a year later so i feel like he's always been running away from jamaica all his life since he left um and then when he had the chance to go back, he chose not to because I feel like he was still running away. But only a year later did he go back. And I remember him writing me an email saying, oh, I, I was expecting to see the Jamaica of my childhood with the beautiful uh, uh, banana palms, the fruits, just the nature, just the untouched nature. I think that's what he remembered. And it's I think what he saw was something that was very derelict and he took a uh, quite opposite of what he had expected. I don't I think he saw poverty for the first time. And it's not that it wasn't yeah. there before, but as a, a young child or a teenager, I don't think he actually realized 
Yeah, because you tend to romanticize mm-hmm. your childhood. You know, like if you had, like, I mean, for those who had a good childhood, you kind of romanticize it, and and everything is bigger and everything is brighter. You know, like yeah. the Christmas tree was the ten feet tall, and yeah. you know, like <laughs> your your bike was like the biggest bike, and like everything was you know mm-hmm. exaggerated in a way because you you kind of look at your childhood um again with like you know yeah. rose colored glasses and there's so many pictures of him in jamaica fishing um folding uh, banana palm leaves i think uh what else are there uh just him in nature doing something with him also in water in, under like natural waterfalls and i think that's what he remembers he remembers the memories attached to the pictures more than anything else uh, yeah and yeah, I think him running away from his cultural heritage kind of uh, meant that I was never able to reach it. And But now being old enough and conscious enough of the fact, I will talk to him about it. And I feel like we're going to have a really cool, fun conversation about it because my dad's a philosopher and he will be, having gone back that time a couple of years ago, I think he will be able to uh, open up about it I never tried before but I think he will be happy to talk about it yeah no that's mm-hmm. awesome yeah I'm looking forward to it I'm really curious really yeah me yeah. too <laughs> because it's like it's not something it's like it's as if my black side uh has always been kind of neglected ignored you know yeah and like I said before at the beginning of this conversation my values my norms my traditions they're instilled in me from my dutch mother and uh so even though i know what jerk chicken is you know that's the only thing i possibly know and that's probably because my dad had that jamaican restaurant in portugal after for a while which he replicated in brazil as well so it was that's the only jamaican culture that i know but dad doesn't like Ironically, he's he has had been a DJ for the longest time. He hates music. He only listens to classical music. Uh, really? <laughs> so I can't blame him. I did, although, uh, blame my mother for something the other day. It's interesting. Let me try and remember what it was. My hair. So I've cut my hair off because I've decided to stop relaxing it. Um, oh, yeah, my God. Amazing. It's really, really short. Oh, wow. Um, you have to send me a pic. Have I got? I've got you on Instagram. I'll oh, I haven't posted it. anything yet because I don't feel like my, it's the oddest thing. But I'll send you a picture because I'm on Instagram. Yeah. Um. So I cut, I've decided to stop relaxing my hair because I've done it for more than twenty years now, and I was kind of fed up with the process. I was fed up with having a month of like good manageable hair, and then two months of a bit frizzy, dried out hair, and then restarting the process all over again. So I let my roots grow out a bit and then I I had my friends cut it off for me and it was a bit of an adventure. And that was maybe three weeks ago. And I have two two inches of natural hair now. And it's, uh, I still don't recognize myself when I look in the mirror. I don't, and I don't know what to do with it yet. So this is like my blame story is two parts. The first part is I kind of blame my mom for my ignorance in terms of my own hair because she was as well but she never kind of bothered to learn about it she got it fixed as soon as she could and then the only Mm. products that i used were the normal mainstream products that you have in all stores yeah um so i kind of like i promised my i kind of made a promise for myself like when i have my own children and they have non-silky smooth white hair I'm going to make sure that we learn how to treat their hair in the best way possible to make it healthy and nutritious without uh, and strong without introducing any chemicals to it not yeah. whatsoever. I love that. I'm so yeah. excited for you yeah. to go on this journey. Yeah, I'm not going to relax like, my hair again for the time being, but... Yeah, just, just have a moment and... Just have a moment and reconnect yeah. with your hair, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, have that relationship. And then if you change your mind, you can change your mind. But I think it's, I've always said, I think it's so important for women, especially to have that mm-hmm. moment 
of just exploring their natural yeah. hair you know even if it's just for a year I just think it's such an incredible journey and it's so personal as mm-hmm. well yeah, it is um, honestly a journey of reconnection as well um, yeah it's odd because I remember the day that I knew I was going to do it and I needed to get um, I was sleeping over at friends who was going to cut my hair and so I was packing my bag because we had decided to wear dresses that evening just for a little party and um, I couldn't decide what to pack. And having been in quarantine for more than a year, I had a load of outfits to choose from because I didn't have the problem of, oh, I already <laughs> wore that, you know, everything was yeah. Cool. But I couldn't figure out what to wear because my hair was going to look different and I couldn't picture how it would look with the outfit. And before I cut my hair, uh, my hair also was an accessory to my outfit like depending on what I was wearing it was how I would style my hair no definitely I think I think hair is like an accessory so it was suddenly that manageable accessory that I had was going to be gone and it was going to be short and curly and it was the exact opposite of what I had before which was long and straight and I could not, mm. for the life of me, decide what to wear without feeling like it wasn't going to look good. So I picked something yeah. anyway. And it was fine and I had a good time and I still have a good time with my hair. And what's really making a difference is that people around me do love my hair. Like my neighbors as well. They're like, oh, you look like a model or whatnot, you know? And it's just like compliments after compliments. But it yeah. still doesn't feel like myself. And that's the weird thing. And that's the reconnection part where it comes in. The reconnecting yeah. with my hair. And it was not necessarily part of my, well, I guess I could say identity. Because it was how I styled myself. You know, how I presented myself yeah. to the world. It was my hair was like the cherry on top of the cake. And now the cherry is a raspberry. And I don't know if I like that. <laughs> But it's so true because obviously like you have had straight hair as far back as you can remember, you know, because your mom relaxed it when you were five. So that is literally the only hair you've ever Mm -hmm. had because it, you know, before that you would have been too young to long hair. Yeah, and I remember also when I went to Croydon, I got confronted. I didn't get confronted, but I um, witnessed... um, the culture of treating natural hair and my uh, cousin who was 16 at the time she had extensions and my baby cousin had kind of like straightened hair not relaxed but straightened hair and sometimes braids and stuff but both of them had uh, kind of like receding hairlines because of the trauma of the hair being continuously pulled back yeah with the weaves and the braiding and the what would should have been protective hairstyles kind of ruined their edges and uh, my cousin also played a lot with my hair asking how I would get it keep uh how it was so long and my hair was long for someone who relaxed their hair so much but um I remember knowing that I was like or feeling glad that I didn't have natural hair or feeling glad that I didn't have to go through the typical hairstyles, which would eventually eat away my edges because I have full edges, luckily. Um, but that, yeah, that's something that I look back uh, at with kind of endearment because I didn't had no idea how else you would be able to treat it, and I had no idea that their protective hairstyles were was ruining their hair, you know. I'm just uh, happy to not have their problems but not knowingly also kind of neglecting my own natural hair oh and the second part of the problem of me not being able to relate to my own hair and knowing what to do with it is because in the media I had this realization the other day there's no one that looks like me in the media growing up there was one mixed race with natural hair in the media there was definitely mixed race girls, maybe like the cheetah girls or something, but they had straight hair. Yeah. Um, it's very sad. Yeah, no one really maybe. had like their natural yeah. hair, really. I don't, 
Tia and Tamara had their natural hair for a minute. Um, and sister, oh, sister. Yeah, that didn't mark me at all. I don't remember that at all. It was the other. I remember. Um, yeah, I there was no characters in the media or famous people in the media that hmm. I could relate to in terms of how I looked. I related to yeah. the characters in terms of their storylines, perhaps. But recently I realized that I could never fully be invested into a character until they looked like me. That is mixed yeah. race with curly hair. And my struggle with styling my hair right now, while it's short, is because I've never, ever seen someone who looks like me out there in the world. Now, a bit yeah. more with Instagram and stuff, and that's maybe how next generations will be more accepting or will be more knowledgeable in terms of style and identity. But for me, it was just, I have, it's like a black canvas and I have nothing to yeah. kind of pull from no kind of backlog or catalog of examples whatsoever you should check out um zoe bella kravitz oh yeah i love her she's got she's got a similar bone structure to you and she's had like really really short mm-hmm. hair before and styled it really really nicely yeah, yeah i have um, she's one of the few media uh people that i've followed well that's a lie i follow a lot of famous don't we all she's one of the few ones that still shows up on my newsfeed you should check out um talking about hair journeys um on netflix there's a movie called napoli ever after and it's about a, a black woman who her whole life she's been relaxing her hair um or wearing weaves but like she's never had like her natural hair like ever and it's just about her journey and like one day she just like shaves off all her hair and just like starting from the beginning and and just embracing her hair and finding out more about her hair like how to treat it and all of this and it's so interesting um yeah called napoli of art after okay yeah it's it's american i'm thinking napoli as in that city in uh that town oh yeah (laughs) oh my god no No, i'll send you a link to it um but yeah it was really cool i I would love to yeah awesome well delta i can literally talk to you all day you're so easy to talk to i was like when you said i looked at the time it's like oh it's been one more than an hour wow yeah. I don't have a dry throat per se. I I often have like a very dry throat and it's not really it's easy. Yeah, you make it easy. Oh, thank you. You too. <laughs> um but yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. I had so much fun talking to you. I hope I wasn't too interested. No, absolutely not. Um you have very good questions, very interesting because I can I there's no one else I can discuss this with, to be honest. So Oh well. Talk to me anytime. I will. I'm always on Instagram. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I had a great time. I had a lovely time. And it was very nice to be able to relate to someone who kind of understands, you know, just the complexity of the things of race and identity and growing up as different and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I hope you have a really great weekend. Thank you. You too. Awesome. Bye. 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 Thanks for checking out This Is Important Podcast. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at this underscore is underscore I-N-P-T.